Today we're looking in Colossians 2, and I want you to pay attention, especially to verse 4 and verse 8, because I'll be repeating them. They won't be on the screen, but I'll be repeating these two warnings many times in the sermon. So look with me and pay attention to those specific verses. I am saying this so that no one will be deceived with arguments that sound reasonable. Be deceived by arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be an absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with, with gratitude. Now look at this next warning. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Justin and I had such a good time working through this message. I'm going to begin by reading an experience that he had in his freshman year. He said, in the spring semester of my freshman year, I took a business law class. About a month into the semester, my professor was giving a lecture on utilitarianism. In his, in his example, he was arguing for the death of thousands for the benefit of the world. I was unsettled with his argument and decided to raise my hand. When he called on me, I expressed that I disagreed with his argument because I found all life to be precious. As soon as I said that, he responded very haughtily. I bet you're a Christian, aren't you? I responded with yes. He then proceeded to go on a 10-minute rant about the barbaric beliefs of Christianity and how small-minded Christians were. The problem was is that he was a genius and very convincing, so much so that some of my classmates began to chime in and defend his position, and not one person took my side of the argument. Many college students have that exact experience, where as soon as you identify that you're a Christian, the attack just comes. Well, the ones that were attacking the Christians in Colossae with arguments that sounded reasonable, with using human philosophy as a new version of Christianity, were called the Gnostics. We've been talking about them. Let me define who the Gnostics were. The Gnostics were a cult that put a little Jesus into Greek philosophy. Now, in the Roman Empire in that day and time, if you were to go to the leading, quote, university, someone, someone like an Oxford today or a Harvard today, you would go to Athens and you would go up on Mars Hill. That was the most intellectual scholars. If you wanted to know what was the greatest thoughts being thought in the world, it would be on Mars Hill. Well, what happened is they took what they were teaching on Mars Hill and put a little Jesus into it. So that when people heard this new cult, they said, you know, that's exactly right. I, I've always been taught that. That's what the intellectuals say. And they let me have a little Jesus too. And you can see how that would be so deceiving that they could be deceived by reasonable sounding arguments. They were in danger of being taken captive by human philosophy. Well, let me give you the good news. Justin survived. <laughs> you know that. But here's what happens when our Christian kids go off to school so often. They're basically given a choice. They're told by those there that are the educated ones that your choice is between being an intellectual or being a small-minded Christian. Your choice is between science and the Bible. 
Now, if you're given that as your two choices, can you see how you'd be intimidated to stay with our faith? Uh, in fact, let me share with you a sad statistic. This came out in 2019. Uh, Barna did this research. An article by a woman named Reisner. Will you keep your faith in college? Odds are you won't, at least according to the Barna research. Barna estimates that roughly 70% of high school students who enter college as professing Christians will leave with little to no faith, 70%. He said these students usually don't return to their faith even after graduation, as Barna projects that 80% of those reared in church will be disengaged by the time they are 29. There's a danger out there. Now, when they're giving you this, it's intellectualism or small-minded Christianity. It's science or the Bible. Can I just, one of the things I want to encourage people to do when you're listening to it on, on your TV or online, or if you're in a classroom, please think through what they're saying. Although it may initially sound like it's reasonable, there's so many holes in their logic. There's so many things you need to know. For instance, in this matter of science, it's not as if science has one voice. What we have is we have a politically correct culture that will allow only one side to be presented. Now, in the past three years, we walked through the hardest time I've ever gone through as a pastor. Every church like ours had to struggle with how do you do this? How do you deal with the coronavirus? I'm not, I, it, was, it was hard for all of us. But basically what we were told is, if you listen to Dr. Fauci, you are hearing science. Dr. Fauci is science. But many of you may not know this, but there was a leading virologist from Oxford, a leading virologist from Harvard, and a leading virologist from Stanford who disagreed openly, produced a statement that said, Dr. Fauci is leading us the wrong way in confronting this virus. And that statement was signed by over 40,000 medical personnel. But most of you never heard about it. Because what's happening is not science, let's discuss thing, it's one view of science that's being presented. Let me tell you, go into another controversial area. The LGBT movement has basically said for years that you have to accept that because people are born that way. Can I make a statement and you can check me out on this? They have never discovered a gay gene. If they ever discovered a gay gene, that would be all we would hear about. But when they say people are born that way, there is no biological reason why a person moves in that direction. And if you think about it, the statement, people are born that way, and then you look at the, the statistics over the years, it doesn't make sense with what we're seeing. And let me give you a 2022 Gallup polling. And Gallup said in 2022 that 2% of my generation, the baby boomers, 2% of my generation identified as LGBT. When you get to Justin's generation, that was 10 years ago, Justin's generation, now 10% of that generation, those who are around his age, around 31, 10%, you've gone from 2% to 10% identify as LGBT. But in 10 short years from Justin to those who are 21 years young and younger, last year's poll by Gallup said that 20% of Gen Z now identifies as LGBT. Now think about this. 
If people are born that way, why were only 2% born that way in my day, 10% born that way in Justin's day, and now 20% are, are supposedly born that way in our day and time? Now, now let me explain something. We, Justin and I have tried to go and, and understand uh, why is this dramatic rise happening? And he was the one that was involved in the lives of those who are the Gen Z because he was our youth minister for so long. He shared something with me that I think makes sense and it breaks my heart as well. He believes that the reason for the dramatic rise is because young people today are in living in such dysfunctional times with dysfunctional homes and there's so much anxiety, social media caused anxiety, all of that that's happening, that they're desperately longing to be loved and to belong to a community. So now in our culture, the minute a young person says, I'm coming out, they get applauded. You get your affirmation. When you put that check mark on that or put the flag up on your social media account, all of a sudden you've got a community. And it's not that they were born that way, it's that they're longing for love, longing for belonging. And if I can quote a song, a country song from the 1970s, the thing we need to share with them is you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Pascal said this, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every one of our hearts that can't be filled by any creative thing, but only by God through Jesus Christ. And you gotta know this, the love that you're longing for, you're not gonna find anywhere else but in Jesus. And our task, our privilege is to share with them how they can have that empty place filled by Jesus. But folks, when I say that, remember, they are desperately seeking love, and we've got to make sure that we're being loving when we point them to Jesus. Don't be deceived by arguments that sound reasonable, he said. Don't be taken captive by human philosophy because what happens is this, if you start listening to what you're seeing on the cable newses, on, the, on all of your websites, what happens is it sounds reasonable and it's like, this, like the culture is putting breadcrumbs out there and you start close by Christianity but the farther you go down the breadcrumb trail, one day you end up way away from where you began which is the true faith. So with that said, the message, that's all been introduction, I'm ready for the sermon. <laughs> How can you keep from being taken captive by this human philosophy? How can you keep from being deceived? Justin and I are gonna be sharing five things with you today. Number one, know that this danger exists. Know that this danger exists. Once again, I'm gonna share with you verse four and verse eight. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, he knew what they were saying. He said, you could be deceived. Don't, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Don't be deceived by reasonable sounding arguments. Look at this. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. It is a danger. I went to Baptist College in the days when liberalism was the dominant force. And, and I, there were 400 ministerial students at the Baptist College I went to. All of us entered the college believing the Bible was the accurate, infallible Word of God, the inspired Word of God. But every class we took, with the exception of one professor, they tore away at our belief in the Bible. They put doubts in our minds about the Bible. So I did an informal poll in my graduation line when I finished college among the ministerial students. And all of us entered believing the Bible was the infallible word of God. Best I can remember, eight still believed that when we graduated. 
because they were taken captive by reasonable sounding liberalism. It is a danger. The second thing that you need to do in order not to be taken captive, not to be deceived, is stay part of an organized Christian group. Stay part of an organized Christian group. If you change jobs, go to a new town, go to a new city, get involved in a church, get involved in small groups, join yourself with others. You you see, we can't do this alone. Now, let me show you how I get this from chapter two, verse five. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Now, let me tell you what's interesting about that word well-ordered. That's a Roman military term. When the Romans went into battle, they were the most disciplined army out there. And they went in and you stood shield to shield as you marched forward. And because they would not break ranks, because they stood right beside their fellow soldier, they could withstand any onslaught because it wasn't just go charge the enemy. It was stay well or to stay combined together, joined together, be there connected with, with, uh, with another. So you've got to connect yourself with other Christians, be, be joined with them. Justin was a part of a campus ministry. My son-in-law actually led it at Jacksonville State uh, University. And he and Taylor were leaders in it. And what they did was they reached 400 students a week coming to it. Now, let me tell you what's extraordinary about that. That was 20% of the student body that lived on the campus. One out of five students that went to Jacksonville State attended their campus ministry. I thought, boy, that was great. And Justin said what they realized was the first week that the students arrived was the key week. So what they did was they met them, they, got, they, they took them out to dinner, they got them connected with other Christians, but they knew that first week could determine the rest of their lives. I remember way back when I went to college, I'd been with Campus Crusade and been a non-fire Christian and tend to live for Jesus. I had a Christian roommate. We came to college and we put a Christian bumper sticker on our door, but it was during rush week. And oh man, I was sitting there thinking I'd be bold and all of a sudden there's all these things enticing us. So us, uh, the two of us with our Jesus sticker on the door locked the door and stayed in our room. <laughs> Day or two after we got there, a guy named Bob Sloan, another guy named Wesley knocked on our door and said, we see you got a Jesus sticker. Are y'all Christians? Well, we just wanted to meet you. And that night they came back and they were bringing a popcorn maker. This is the days before microwaves. So they brought a popcorn maker and they said, we just want to come make some popcorn with you. And we sat there and we got to know, folks, I want to tell you something. That saved my spiritual life. I ended up growing stronger in my faith because of the knock on the door, because of the involvement in that campus ministry. And what I've seen happen uh, is I've watched kids go off to college is those who get involved in campus ministry survive and those who don't, do not. Number three, what should you do? Number three, how do you avoid being deceived? Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Look at verse six. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Now, we've talked about being in the campus ministry and all that, but there is no substitute for a Christian, no matter where you are, in college, outside, for having that daily time alone with God. 
Your spiritual walk with God on a daily basis will determine whether or not you survive the Christian life. I'd heard so many horror stories about people who fell away when they went to college that I determined that I would give one hour a day to studying my Bible just as if it were a class. So I designated two o'clock on the afternoon where I would go to the library and take my Bible. And my goal for my freshman year was to thoroughly master the epistles of Paul. Now, before this, as a Christian in high school, I'd, I'd had emotional high highs. I was basically going on emotional a lot. I didn't have depth because I was hit and miss with the Bible, but because I made this as an appointment with God. So by the time I finished my freshman year, I knew the content of every one of Paul's epistles so much that today, if you were to come up to me and read a verse in any of Paul's epistles, I could tell you what chapter it's in. I do it with my students at Fruitland. I play stump the professor. I did it with Taylor, our, our modern person, not long ago. I said, read me something. I didn't miss a one. But it happened because I laid the foundation in the word of God. Yes, you've got to know there's a danger. Yes, you've got to join your arms with other Christians. But there's no substitute for that daily walk with God. Number four, keep rooted in the faith. And that, that term, the faith. Look at verse seven being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. I almost want you to underline that word. I want you to pay attention to it as you read through the epistles. Because whenever you see in the New Testament the word, the faith, it's referring to a set of doctrines, of truths that make up what real Christianity is. Unchanging doctrines. Unchanging truths. And we believe them for 2,000 years. They do not change. Truths about Jesus, truths about the gospel, truths about the Bible, truths about, the, the, about morality. So here we've got the faith. In fact, Jude 3 says, earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So you stick to the faith. Keep rooted in the faith. But sadly, we're seeing the fact that even those who call themselves evangelicals are now not strong in the faith. Now, uh, there was a 2022 survey by Lifeway. Lifeway is one of our arms as a Southern Baptist. And they surveyed those who called themselves evangelicals. And let me give you the shortest definition. An evangelical is somebody who says that they put their faith in Jesus, been born again, and believe the Bible to be the word of God. That's an evangelical. So let me just give you a few of the results. Almost three out of four of those who called themselves evangelicals, 73%, said that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Almost three-fourths. Now, now, do you get that? That means that almost three out of four Christians have more in common with the Jehovah's Witnesses than with historic Christianity, because that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. More than half, 55%, said this. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. And almost half, 44%, say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So what we're seeing is a slipping of, of commitment to the faith, the historic faith of Christianity. Now, I never had a doubt that the Bible was true or a doubt any of our great statements of faith until my freshman year of college. And I'll tell you what happened. I actually owe a debt to this man. Dr. Moore was the, the first history professor who was interesting I ever heard. And I learned my love for history from Dr. Moore. Here I am a professor of church history now. So I learned my love for history from Dr. Moore, but he was a cynic who didn't believe in anything. 
And he especially enjoyed highlighting all the horrible things that had been done in Christianity over the centuries. So when I was listening to the Crusades, the Children's Crusades, the Inquisition, all of these things that had happened, I began to have it in my mind as a first quarter freshman. Am I just a Christian because I was born in Georgia rather than born in India? Right at that time in the providence of God. Josh McDowell held a conference for college students debuting a new book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And so a bunch of us drove up there. And over that weekend, we heard historical proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. Good reasons why you believe that he is the divine son of God. Great truths that back up the fact that the Bible is trustworthy and is the inspired word of God. When I finished that conference, literally as we walked back to the car, I'll never forget, I held my Bible up just like this. I walked all the way back with my Bible up in the sky. This is true. This historic faith that we stand upon is true. Stay with the time-tested truths of the Bible. And then lastly, how are you going to survive being deceived? There's an interesting phrase that just seems to be almost thrown in in the midst of this. Chapter 2, verse 7. He said, we're to be overflowing with gratitude. How do you survive being deceived? Live a life of gratitude. Now, let me tell you what's happened in our culture. What our culture is doing is producing people who basically now see themselves as victims. They've been done wrong. Everybody's against them. They're constantly bitter. They're constantly complaining. They're constantly, it's so easy to get their feelings hurt. So you've got a world full of bitter people demanding to, to, for people to go along with them. They need safe spaces or they'll blame you if they're not happy. That's our world right now. And what are we Christians to be? On the other hand, we Christians ought to be producing positive, grateful people. I found this. I don't know who this is. A guy named Scott Allen had this as an article. Have you ever considered giving thanks to be an act of cultural rebellion? I'm going to read that again. Have you ever considered giving thanks to be an act of cultural rebellion? We live in a strange moment in history where casting yourself as a victim confers a sense of righteousness. Our culture increasingly incentivizes people to view themselves as fragile, aggrieved victims in need of protection and safe spaces. How different all this is from a biblical worldview in which gratitude is a central virtue. One of the ways that you'll stay true to God is just keep counting your blessings. Man, you've been blessed by God, haven't you? Don't focus on what you didn't get. Focus on all the great things he has given you. Justin and Sarah recently took their two boys all the way to Atlanta to the Atlanta Zoo, probably one of the best zoos in, in the country. I've taken my kids and my grandkids there. They spent the day there, drove that far, spent the day there. Now, one of the things that they have at the zoo is there's a place where you can put a penny in and then for much more than a penny, uh, it will turn it into the animal that you pick out. It'll sh reshape the copper penny into an animal. Well, as they went along, every one of those penny machines was broken. So when they finished their day at the zoo, all Titus would talk about was, I didn't get my penny animal. For days, he talked about, I didn't get my penny animal. Went to the Atlanta Zoo. Isn't that our world right now? Oh, how we ought to be sharing 
a grateful spirit, a joyful spirit. We ought to be the joyful ones. Now, let me close with this thought. There were four young men who were against their will taken off to college in Babylon, Daniel and his three friends. And all of a sudden they were immersed in an atmosphere where the food didn't match what they were told they could eat. The wine was not something they could drink. The teaching was something far different than what they had learned in the word of God. But there's an important verse in Daniel chapter one, verse eight. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself and he offered a test. He said, let's go by biblical diet. You guys go with that diet and give us a test. And at the end of the test, see who is healthier and whose mind is clearer. And they won the test. And this is what I would say to anyone. Look around you. Where do you find the happiest marriages? Where do you find the most positive people? Where do you find people who are doing everything they can to be unselfishly helping others? It's going to be those who know Jesus, who stuck by the stuff, (laughs) who held to the truth. My prayer is that years from now, you'll still be walking with the Lord rather than being taken captured by philosophy that just doesn't work in the end. Would you pray with me about that? Oh Lord, I come to you now and I pray that you would open up hearts to hear this today. I know that there will be many that will be offended, but Lord, you love them and you don't want them to go down the wrong path. Lord, please, Holy Spirit, take my weak words and let them receive your power. I pray for every soul that graduates and goes off to college, you'd protect them. I pray for us because we're being pulled away. Senior adults are being pulled away. We trust you now in Jesus' name, amen.